Hey everyone, welcome to Heavy Hops. Today we're going to be continuing our conversation with Nick Delacroce of Bong Ripper. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the first episode, please scroll down one episode and start there, as this is a continuation of our conversation from last week. For those of you who did get a chance, welcome back. We're just going to dive right on in and get heavy. So is this like a test beer or is this label a uh, kind of factor of COVID times? It's like a half label going on right now. Yeah, I think that for a lot of breweries, uh, breweries ultimately have been affected pretty heavily by COVID. And so um, breweries that are especially uh, draft heavy, like, uh, like Dovetail is, they needed to figure out how to package beer that had been in kegs or that uh, they may not have had labels for in some way, right? And this is not a beer that's a year-round beer that they have labels for. So what it looks like they've done for um, this Rauch uh, Doppelbach is that they took basically uh, a label that they could that they was like a generic label of some kind. I mean, you could do some archaeology work and take that off yeah, if you wanted I mean, to. Um, <laughs> you could be an amateur archaeologist. <laughs> I'm just impressed with your uh, pronunciation. Uh, <laughs> without an ounce of German in me. Um, and the, the, I, the I, ranch beer. The ranch beer, yeah. <laughs> it's got ranch in it, ranch cream flavor. So I think that they just uh, put uh, enough information on here so that they wouldn't get in trouble with the law and it says hey this is a rock uh rock double box so uh what that's actually really good yeah it's so it's a uh doppel box so a stronger lager um with uh smoked malt so they do make a rock beer so like a again like a a lighter lager with uh with a percentage of smoked malt uh, all of their malt comes from Vireman, which is a maltster in Bavaria that uh, I, whose malt I enjoy a lot personally. Uh, their smoked malt is exceptional, and uh, this beer is really good. I think that their Rauch beer, on its own terms, their like uh, lighter smoked lager is fantastic. But for a, a richer, uh, heavier, I mean, heavier strength lager at uh, the better part of eight percent, I think this beer drinks really, really well. Um, it's definitely a rich experience. Um, I always equate that hickory kind of smokiness to bacon. So on on a lot of spectrums, when you talk about smoke, you can talk about meat. You can talk about, uh, at some extreme ends, people get like a plastic, almost like bandaid quality too, uh, which I don't think that this beer has. Like what this beer reminds me a lot of is, um, campfire. Totally. And I think that when you talk about campfire, then you're talking about like kind of the more pleasant thing, unless unless you were hazed, like (laughs) unless you were hazed in front of a campfire and you have horrible memories of it. Like, I think that campfires are typically pretty pleasant things for people. Nick, you have a story about this, it looks like. (laughs) The last time I went camping with my family, I was like maybe 11. And uh, we like obviously woke up at like 4.30 in the morning to go fishing with my... um, I five years older than my brother and sister are twins. And my brother just decided to get like everything caught in the net. Like just like the worst fishery thing. And my dad just like lost and he goes, all right, we're not a fishing family. (laughs) And we never fished since. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that wasn't at the beginning of this trip. It probably was. (laughs) It was probably like 30 minutes into it. And the camping trip was over. And the camping trip was that, over. Yeah, that was the last time I went. Well, I went camping one more time, like when I was 20, and I haven't been since. Now I LARP. Was it, or no, was it Glamp? Glamp? Glamp. I, I know about LARPing, but what, <laughs> could, could you define glamping? Is that the, it's like when you do like lodging shit. Yeah, uh, like oh, you, you, yeah. Have, you have uh, more comfortable accommodations. That is what yeah, I, it's like that's when, my when, when I camping. pay to go on vacation, I don't want to shit in a bucket. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I don't want to shit in a bucket. No one wants to shit in a bucket. I've been watching a lot of porters, so I've seen a lot of shitting in (laughs) buckets lately. 
Is that something you need to do in order to be a hoarder? Is to shit in a bucket? Is that yeah? Like when some you kind hoard, of when you hoard up um, all your bathroom when there's nowhere left to go in it. Oh, so you're not a true hoarder until you shit in a bucket. Yeah, and then you have to you have a different system for it. There's been a lot of different interesting ones, and they all seem to be very useful, I guess. So is this like a <laughs> Beavis and Butthead situation where they collect their poop in little jars in the basement? <laughs> not quite. There was this one though where this woman um, was. She became hoarding with her mother, who was a hoarder, and her mother died in the house. And then her mother was shitting in all these um, bottles <laughs> and just leaving them there. And so she had this entire room just full of shit bottles that were enclosed in. And then the entire hoarding team had to t- go and, like, open up these shit bottles and dump them in there. And they also, like, repeatedly showed her shitting into a bucket and then dumping it out outside in front of her front lawn. Wow. The place ended up getting condemned, so. Well, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that checks out. <laughs> yeah, this is this is what I've been watching and, you know, expanding my horizons during COVID. <laughs> I, 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 we, I, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm off work. I got, I, you know, like I'm doing customer service. And uh, it's like, hey, what do you want to do? I'm like, what kind of punishment do you want? And my girlfriend's like, I don't know. I want something really punishing today. I'm like, okay, well, like, let's see what hoarders we got going on. Orders your COVID choice for a show. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sad because like that's it's it's really fucked. It's just, it's something like you just kind of like sadly gawk at. Mm-hmm. But um, besides that, like House Hunters, HGTV, just me, just like laying into all these people. That's pretty <laughs> much like my where I get all my anger out. Like, who needs music anymore? I don't need to create anything. <laughs> I just need to lay into the Property Brothers. so would you say that the only reason why you have cable is just to get your anger out um i steal my parents cable and i'm 35 (laughs) (laughs) no i I have uh i have (laughs) i have netflix i have hulu and amazon stuff like that but i do i steal my parents hbo (laughs) you, you don't need to pay for it we all leech on something or other i just remember like the last time my wife and I had, we weren't married at the time, but we were living together and we had, like, I had cable. And I remember we wasted so much fucking time watching, like, Home and Garden and, like, oh my God, all yeah. this stuff. And I remember we got soup. We don't smoke a lot of weed anymore, but at that time we were. And we smoked a lot of weed one day. And we turned on Fox news. We were like, okay, we need like a laugh here. So we turned on Fox (laughs) news and, um, what's his nuts? Tucker Carlson. He had stupid fucking bow ties and he just got put on vacation. (laughs) Okay. Moving on to for, better for things. Racism. Finally, oh, finally oh, like, wow. that didn't happen. That only then. took what? 10 years. Uh, that didn't take however many years he's been alive. So I remember distinctly there was actually maybe like a similar range of emotions or like duration of emotions that you would be talking about. So we started laughing the minute we were like, oh, there's this guy with this stupid bow tie and listen to these things that he's talking about. And then like a lot of things sunk in about how many people watch this and how many people may be watching yeah. this now and how many people may be influenced by this and um, Your why, yeah, it, it, it went really <laughs> far south. And so tears of laughter became tears of <laughs> sadness and despair. And we actually had to turn the TV off and go to bed and be in a room that was totally black. In order to like focus on something. Do you see the article that came out? Likes like how many people died because of Tucker? No. Because all the horseshit he's been, you know, like hoax shit, this whatever. Uh huh. It's like he literally probably killed like hundreds of people. Ow. I had no. uh... (laughs) Yeah, that one. Maybe that's deep web shit. I don't know. Yeah, that one that one passed by me. Yeah, that flew by but, me. Oh my. Oh, oh my. Oh my. The, yeah, sa- yeah, the same deep he, web he, that we used to he, find. He's on a planned vacation right now that just came out of nowhere. Oh good. Oh, because you know everyone's taking vacations <laughs> yeah. right now and going 
going on cruises in the Mediterranean. Yeah, it's like that U.S. passport can go anywhere right now. Yeah. <laughs> All eight countries. Take me around. Don't want to divert, but um, I don't even know how to. Do, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, know how to make this correlation. Yeah. <laughs> At one point in time, Dovetail was self-distributed. So <laughs> let's talk. About, so let's talk about let's talk. that. <laughs> All right, so oh my God. <laughs> at what all right, at what point so we're talking about I mean you may have had like emetic records help you with uh Great Barrier Reefer, right? So kind of. I mean I remember their emblem being on the on the artwork in some way. They did the first uh vinyl pressing of that in two thousand twelve and I think that was when we warned as um confident in ourselves of what we're doing with our record label and like self-distribution mm-hmm. which i don't know why this is like the thing is it costs a lot of money to make a record yeah. um mm-hmm. so and also if you do a two lp versus a single lp it's twice as expensive it's mm-hmm. not like if you like have like a 30 minute cd and 80 minute cd is the same price it's literally twice as expensive right and then if you want to do a gatefold it's three times expensive for like the, the jacket. Right. Um, so we never, we, we self release CDs because like you can always get like CDs for like a thousand for like 900 or a thousand dollars through like whatever horse shit, whatever thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did that through like Grape Reefer, Hippie Killer, um, Hate Ashbury. But like Savage from Doom was the first time we really things off like we'd always have like some sort of we have bones and like going like studio and because like it's our studio we can kind of just like do we want with it and like obviously like with like that like i'm 21 we're 21 22 and like i want to kind of make things obtuse as possible just because i'm a artistic prick or whatever you want to call it like (laughs) so like that's just like like oh yeah like we only need like a half hour music but we'll have like a 75 minute record it's fine (laughs) <laughs> and then we're we'll taking like, a step down from 80 but <laughs> <laughs> um and then but like with like Saber Doom like we we built these songs up from the ground and we practiced them a lot and even we still rushed into that record like that record should have probably we probably should have waited another few months on that and like really kind of worked things out because like you've seen like you've heard those songs live or on like the Roburn release versus how they sound on record mm-hmm they're much slower, they're way more just kind of like fluidy sounding instead of just like, you know. But, so obviously like, it's a very big investment to go into that. And like, we never thought that anyone, like maybe we thought maybe we'd sell like 25 to like 50 records. Mm -hmm. So what we did is in like the late 2000s, um, my friend Bob Cano, um, who, he does a, He's done a bunch of stuff like like collaborations and experimental stuff like fought and stuff like that, but he used to have um, just kind of hangouts and shows in his basement because he would live in the first floor and the second floor was Russian circles, and then the basement was just like a like a in law suite with those just filled with uh, like USPS boxes full of pitchfork submissions for review. So it was like 2,000 pitchfork records, like, like well, CDs mostly. There's occasionally a record and like some tapes and like some really sad handwritten notes. Like, I really hope you enjoy the record and stuff like that. <laughs> like, I made this specifically for you. <laughs> Put a kiss I, on it. Yeah. I, I hope you really just, just feel how I feel. <laughs> um, and so... <clears throat> Bob would invite like Ron, me, Will uh, McEvely from Castavet, Reclygenics. Um, and we'd like do like improvised like drone and noise shows there. Like it'd be like uh, just basically playing to ourselves. Like it'd be like Bob and his friend playing and then like Adam and, um, you know, Party Mike. And uh, then like Ron, me and Will would do like, uh, we used to call ourselves James Old Drones. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <laughs> and just doing a set. So like, he's like, hang on. Like, he's like, all right, um, you can take whatever music you want out of here and do whatever you want with it. So like, 
I would come out with like 50 CDs and like a couple records and a couple tapes and stuff like that. And it got to the point where like his whole basement was just filled with the shit. I don't know if like he didn't work at Pitchfork doing the reviews, but like at that time, even in the late 2000s, Pitchfork only reviewed like digital files. Uh huh. But they would get sent all the shit. All the physical shit. And then they would give it to my friend and he just put it in mail bins in his basement. They'd like stack to the ceiling. Wow. So. After a few times of us like just like hanging out and like just doing like our like you know sad boy drone show, um, he's like, you know, he's like, I don't really want to deal with this shit. And Ron's just like, I'll deal with it. So Ron would pick up just as much as he could fit in his car, and then he'd take one box of it over to uh, this place over on. Cermak over at uh, in Lombard, like Disc Replay or something like that, like over by Best Buy and what Venture used to be over there. And they would give him a dollar for every CD that had a barcode on him. Wow. Even barcodes that had punches on them? I, I don't know if that, it could be either way, but so he would bring a hundred of those a week. And that's what financed our first bomber for record was Pitchfork. 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 <laughs> who who wouldn't review us when we did a split with Conan and they reviewed Conan. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then in tag and then tried to fight me when I they're like, you gotta take it down that you said you won't they, we won't review. I'm like, well you still haven't. <laughs> wow. So thanks, Pitchfork. Thank yeah. you, Pitchfork. Pitchfork has financed my uh, shitty drug career. <laughs> so were, was so you, in a certain way, when you were talking about pressing, you were talking about the overhead of that. You, I mean, there's a legitimate concern that if you're only going to sell 25 and you're printing 200, that you may be stuck with uh, without a return on investment. Was it the continuous, uh, was it the continuous, was it being continuously surprised at how quickly things sold that gave you the confidence to continue with that method without getting other people involved? Were there other people that were interested in pressing your stuff? Uh, or how did, what was the dynamic at that time? So, like, in the beginning, no one gave a shit. Um, and... When we were going to release Hate Ashbury in 2008, um, we had some interest from the singer of A Life Once Lost. Random. Really random. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I really like the band. Like, and we like, we were playing a show like around that time over in Philly and we, like met with him and stuff like that. He's like, I like the band. I think like you guys are doing good stuff. And like, I really want to put this out. He's like, I want to do only CD at first. We're like, well, we can put the CD out. We don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. And then... I don't know. He, we put out CD. I don't know. I haven't talked to him since. <laughs> <laughs> so then, flash forward one album after that, and you're talking 300 copies of Hail Satan Worship Dune sold well, out. That was off the bat, and then we did another 200. Um, we've done a few other pressings of that as well. But, like, you know, like the next record we did was Miserable. We did basically 2000 off the bat and that's old. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's an organic growth that occurs that a lot of, a lot of has been in part of the internet and has been a part of doing some shows and getting a lot of recognition. And I think that a lot of bands feel as though the recognition comes from needing the support of a PR of a PR firm, uh, support of promotion, all kinds of like logistics that they imagine a record label is responsible for in some way. And Bond Ripper is a band that's been able to do that without the support of a record label. And I think that, I mean, are these things that just, how do you have the confidence to keep doing that? Is it a matter of, it, of the sales growing and that informing uh, the decisions that, yeah, I feel confident in print pressing something that cost me 12 to 13 bucks per unit versus, okay, I need someone to help offset that cost in some way, like a record label, because now we want to grow at this exponential rate um, and you get these mechanics behind you. 
at a certain point, were there actually labels interested in working with you guys uh, uh, beyond what you were just describing? So the last tour we tried doing in the U.S. was in 2008. We got our van broke down in Indiana, in Fremont, Indiana, which is like some, it's not a real town. Um, and we were there for five days. We didn't play a single show. And that was the last time we did a tour up until 2018. But mm. obviously, like, you know, like as Lexi mentioned, like Roadburn, being on Roadburn, being on, like, we played Maryland Death Fest. We did a, you know, UK tour and stuff like that. Like, they all just kind of snowballs, like, online and just, like, with, like, word of mouth and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, this is actually a good point, and this ties into what I'm talking about, is that there's a scarcity aspect of not performing a lot. And that is a marketing virtue in some way, right? And then the question that I had was, was there a certain point when you had gained notoriety as a result of performances like Roadburn, um, whatever other experiences you had had in Europe, and then the select opportunities that you had had in the US and maybe did a weekend here, a weekend there, um, were there labels that were interested? And then at, how do you judge that situation in relation to a, an ambition to kind of do things yourself or a knowledge of that? Totally. Um it was a weird situation because obviously there there was there's only been like one there's been a few labels that well there's been a few labels that have been like my favorite labels of all time that have reached us and it's a weird situation to be in but like at least the one the one label that we dealt with that like gave us like an offer to be on and I feel like this sounds like a shithead thing to say. Like, I felt like at the point, like, we had more to offer for them than otherwise, just based on what they're doing at the time. Like, and the deal was really good. But it's not as good as what you can do by yourself if you have the means to do it. What do you mean? Like, uh, what could you do better yourself? It, is it better for yourself or is it better for the fans or can you elaborate a little bit? It's, well, it's probably detrimental to the fans in a little regard because you don't have as much a distribution. Mm -hmm. Like these like labels, like they have like better distribution. Like it'll be like, say like you're like 18 or something like that. And you go into like your local record shop and you, you might be able to see a record. Versus mm -hmm. you might not be able to see the record. Right. But it's the same kind of thing like where why take that versus we can just have complete control where we do and they'll eventually just get there if they want to. Mm -hmm. And it's like signing like a multiple record deal. Like one, two is like, this is like a few years ago and Dennis is like, when this deal ends, I'll probably be in my mid 50s. That's something to think about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. Um, and like, it really, there's a need for like up and coming bands to use record labels to get the distribution. Like, I'm all for that. Do it. But we just don't really need it right now. But uh, I mean, the, there are so many online services that will allow you at least the syndication of your material across all of the platforms. Now, getting people to find you or being found on these platforms, that's the marketing that a label offers in mm -hmm. theory, right? Um, but aren't a lot of these tools somewhat kind of common market or commonplace knowledge at this point? I mean, what is so secret that a label has that people can't learn about on the internet and then emulate on their own? You know, like maybe like 20 years ago, you needed like a press service and like to like send out to like, I don't even know, like what media outlets or something like that. Today, it's anyone can do it. Mm -hmm. And I like... I don't like, I'm not going to say like anything bad about people. Like, you know, if you have like a PR service, like great, like I hope they're doing really well for you. But like every time I see a PR service drop my name, our name, I'm just like, pick someone else. 
Like mm-hmm. you should like you're you're like using my name or our name for like something we don't do. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Totally, I do. I do feel like we're in this kind of uh, the internet age. Definitely started um, early two thousands, where everyone had more access to it, and so we've had twenty years now, and you're at this point where everyone's gotten even foothold. And so, I mean, the information's out there. That's the thing is that if you have a decent relate relationship with someone, uh, that's in the media circle or that's in PR or that's anywhere, but you can find these contact, you can find the contacts to begin with. Right. And then on top of that, if you're in a position to where you have any notoriety, people are coming to you as well. And then you work with the energy that you're given, right? But and I don't want to like say like we're like at the level like people come to us or something like that, but like we have that relationship that's kind of already built in. And like I know like like in the last thing like I knew like I have Fred over a revolver that like would do a write up for us for like doing like a preview of our of Terminal in 2018. Mm-hmm. And like well before we used Fred over at like um, when he was working at Vice. Um, Obviously, like those relationships are very important. That's like why people have PR. Um, it's just not something that we, I feel like we need right now. And I'm like, I'm not looking to be the next, get to that next level. We're never going to get to that next level with the mm-hmm. band we are. A drug band that's instrumental playing long songs is not going to be the next ghost or fucking Queens of the Stone Age or whatever shit. The world needs to change. You don't yeah. need to change for that to happen, right? <laughs> no. I I think, you know, you were kind of hitting it on the head is like these, even if you didn't know that person at Revolver, the info is out there. That that person who does reviews at Vice, the info is out there. And if you really wanted it, you can reach out via email, right? It's a, It just depends if they get back to you or not. But the point being, the info is out there. You don't need... I mean, a lot of that's buy-in, and I think that um, a lot of that is someone actually taking an interest to you in the first place, and there's a lot of happenstance to that that is going to be on your side or against you, whether you are a self-distributed, independent artist, or you have the the most magnanimous PR firm behind you. I have a counterpoint for that, which is might say bad about my band. Um, (laughs) So since we, we've never sent our album out to be reviewed by anyone, like we don't do PR ourselves either. It just, it just happens. So like most of the people that do review our album or talk about our album are obviously excited about it because otherwise you wouldn't do that unless you are really pissed off, which kind of really rarely happens, which shocks me. Um, so like maybe we have better press because we don't send things out. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there is a perspective that by not engaging at all, you can actually get out of it what you want. You get a better percentage of positive engagements then, I guess. Sure. That's, that's true. This if is you're, not, if you're not, if this you're is not, not like a thought out like marketing plan. This is just like my <laughs> thinking right now. No, but I think, <laughs> no, but I think that there is a lot of uh, serendipity and there's a lot of happenstance that goes into getting us getting somewhere. And I think that um, it is a matter of the talent of what you, of what you put out in the end. I mean, mm-hmm. a shit band that does a DIY thing, or that does a, a, a DIY presentation of what they do isn't going to get acknowledged because it's not good. I mean, if you have quality and you have confidence in what you do, I think that's uh, that's what I'm gathering here is that if you have quality and you have confidence in what you do, then that can take you a long way. Totally. Oh. I, uh, I'm not big into self-help shit, but I always like to tell people like in this, I tell us myself is like personally like when I create shit, if you like something, it's not you have a chance. There's always gonna be someone else that likes that too. Like Definitely. you're not like a unique fucking person. Like there's always gonna be someone else that like is like, fuck, that's that's why we want to hear. So like, I don't know, 
you create stuff and just continue creating and then eventually maybe you find your audience. Mm -hmm. I've been lucky enough, we've been lucky enough to find a very good audience who's very supportive and more than I can ever even imagine dislike playing one Green Day song in a basement to like one person back in like 1996. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I think a lot of it comes from what you do and the care you put into it. And that that's really what resonates with people, you know? And I think that uh, in a way it's a, it's a positive thing for the industry to hear and for us as consumers to hear is that there's people that are out there that are creating art that they genuinely want and that they want to hear themselves and they want to be a part of and that they're not apologetic about and that there's an audience out there for it and that it's actually simple to reach them in some way that there isn't this mystery that I think that the industry tries to project in order to protect to protect itself right. and to protect its own interests. And that is that, oh, you need all of these services and all, and you need to employ all these apparatuses in order to reach these people. Mm -hmm. As you were talking about earlier, uh, Nick, when you were referring to um, the, uh, the torrent sites and uh, how you were finding music, it's all right there. It's always been there the whole time, right? Yeah. And so you don't need these uh, these middle people to uh, be between you and they're not gatekeeping the customers in any way or the um, the, the audience in yeah. any way, shape, or form. Uh, they're just people that make a living doing that. Totally, and there's always going to be like that person who told you about that at the store at Best Buy, like wearing the ice search shirt. There's always going to be that person who like that person you trade on SoulSeek with it, like you both like just like broaden each other's like horizons and stuff like that. That's inherent in humanity. Like we are exploratory and we'll find a way to like get what we want. And we'll like certain people like, I feel like myself and you and you like, we'll never be satisfied because we always want to get more and get the best we can. Totally. And there's always going to be those like-minded people helping you out because that's like the community is like if you want to call it a community or whatever you want is like i know i've talked shit on metal or anything like that throughout this entire thing but <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean yeah do you uh feel like that constant searching for something more is what fed into this idea of doing bong ripper a bong ripper pedal uh what what kind of went into that um and how did it come about well, um, I like, we were really in, like, I was really into, I always used rats, um, for like my gain for my pedal gain. And then actually it's kind of weird. Ron got married, our bassist. And so for, I was in like his wedding party and for his wedding party, he got pedals for all for in the wedding party. And they all, <laughs> they all, if you look them out like this, it looked like the Chicago skyline. <laughs> <laughs> with all the uh, uh, Star Wars fighter jets. <laughs> so, like, I had, like, the Millennium Falcon with, like, the, uh, I think, I don't know, I think it was a Sears Tower or something like that. And so, um, and that's, it was done by Fuzz Rocious, who does, like, the, they call it the cat tail because they got cease and desist by calling it the rat tail. Uh, <laughs> and... So like, you know, like rat is like the common, like that's like the sun sound that's like goat snake and all that shit, uh -huh. like, you know. Um, and I used that for a long time and then I switched over there cause like it had the same kind of like quality but a little more clarity to it. Um, and then Ron always used the demon, which is their like OCD uh, overdrive. Mm -hmm. um, so we did a combination pedal of that just to I don't know. It was Ron's idea, and I was like, I don't think anyone's going to want to fucking buy this shit. <laughs> like, why would anyone want to sound like us? Like, well, you sound like a bunch of farts. <laughs> a bunch of down-tuned farts. Down-tuned farts. And I guess people do. Um, and Fuzz Rocious, um, really nice people. We When we toured the East Coast in 2018, we stopped by Ryan's place with his wife. Um, I feel bad. I forget her name, but... Um, 
she was really amazing and their kids were really cool too. And I don't like kids. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so an excellent chick. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they're they're good kids. Uh-huh. But yeah, that's just something that kind of happened like Ron put in the place because like, I don't know if you follow like Ron and like Instagram or anything like that. He's like, Ron's always in my gear guru. Like even last practice we had this yesterday, I bought a pedal off him for $180. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he's like, I bought this. He's like, you want to try it out? I'm like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's mine. <laughs> like he's just like a gear, like uh, like the, the epi- epitome of like gear nerd, just like but like always on his shit, like doing the best. Mm-hmm. So like even like when I was like when Bomber first started, like I was still in college, and so was Ron. But Ron was not drinking at the time, so he had like extra money when I was just in debt. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so like we just had like this like most random gear that we just would play and like we show up with like six amplifiers a piece, just like lay across the wall of like shit. Um, but he's always retained that, and he's always been not only like one of the most supportive friends I've ever had in my life and it's an amazing bandmate, but he's always been like there to like, it's like, check this out. This might help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> has that kind of guided the tone for bong ripper or has that always been innate in you and kind of like pushing that he's out? He's the, the one that decided we should play an F. Okay. Which is probably the worst move for a bass player of all time. <laughs> it took him like probably five to like seven years to figure out how to actually really it's it's yeah when you're going that low on on the bass that's a challenge for sure yeah it's a challenge on guitar as well but definitely bass um yeah how do you i mean you play ekg if i remember correctly or yeah mostly yeah so they stay in tune pretty well or has that been like a little bit of a difficulty we're getting we're getting nerdy for the gear nerds by the way yeah gear nerds (laughs) it's a electrical guitar company um so I have a TT2, which is like, it looks like a Telecaster that was um, placed in Terminator 2, um, where it's just like straight aluminum. Mm-hmm. And it only is a 25.1 um, scale on it. So it has some issues. You just got to work, you got to figure out the intonation on it. Mm-hmm. That's like, you got to like, you got to know where to go to like get that intonated. Definitely. Um, there's a guy over right by actually the reverb shop, uh, uh, Jeff, uh, Ben, who uh, used to set up like Albini's and uh, Cobain's, uh, Travis Beans and shit. And I've been going to him and he's been doing a decent job with it. Okay. Because like I've had other um, set up places for when I was using uh, like the Gold Top Les Paul or like just my other Les Pauls. And they were fine. But like as soon as I brought like the ECGs over there, like it was a garbage. Like they, they couldn't figure it out. Really? So like, I think like it's something a little different there. And also like they had like saw off like part of the nut <laughs> and like the, <laughs> but you shifted that, uh, from what I've heard with those guitars is that because they're all aluminum or they're all metallic, there's no real wood component, right? Uh, they resonate better. And for what you do when you hit that note, it just goes, is that kind of what gravitated, uh, those guitars to you? Yeah. Um, like I was very uh, like for a while I was playing a '79 Greco uh, Gold Top, like the Japanese ripoff Les Pauls. Got for like cheap and like it was amazing. It still is amazing, but I kind of stayed away from those is because like they're very expensive and I never want to spend a lot of money on guitars because I treat them like shit because I'm an asshole. Because mm-hmm. like you've seen me play like <laughs> like launched across the stage or whatever uh-huh. the fuck I'm doing, but. So I'm like, I'm not going to do that with like a, one of these things, but you're not going to pick up your pedal and throw it across the stage. <laughs> you're laughing like you've done it before. <laughs> I haven't picked up my pedal and thrown it across the stage. I've, I've broken it, several guitars doing it though. So that's the thing then is you don't spend a lot of money on your guitar, but you spend money on everything else. Yeah. Well, so you just think like, um, I, accidentally shattered my gold, my gold top at uh, Maryland death fest in 2014 because I was swinging around like an anvil basically at the end of the set. <laughs> and then I just like, and at the end of the set, I just like dropped it. And I think like all like the stress that I put on the neck, just like it literally like blew through the body and everything that came off of like all the hardware came off the guitar. 
Oh my god. <laughs> Luckily, that is is an Al Gel. Um, so it's like it's like a three hundred dollar um, Korean made guitar, which they rule. If you want like a cheap guitar that sounds amazing, like I record an album with that thing. It sounds awesome. But then I picked up the other one, but. What was I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> the beer is setting in. I love it. No, um, I, I like this gear discussion. Yeah, this no, good. it's good. Um, EK oh. or uh, ECG or EGC. So yeah, um, um, yeah. When I I uh, I was basically uh, negged into buying that uh, from working at Reverb. I had the entire crew behind me like, "Why aren't you fucking buying that?" It was Bruno Mars's guitar, and he they used it as like a part of the booth at NAM for ECG. Um, and Bruno Mars never paid for it. So they listed on Reverb. I'm like, yo, Kevin, the guy who runs the company. I'm like, hey, I know Ron. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, hey, uh, what, what what would you sell me this to? And he's like, all right. I'm like, I was like, just fucking buy it. So I bought it. And I was like, okay, whatever. I'm going to try this out. I'm probably going to like not like it or whatever like that. And there's like a bunch of things that like are not my thing. Like the neck is super thin, and like I'm used to like more like Les Paul stuff. The thick neck. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, but like I e a bead like that and my guitar, and destroyed it. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, fuck it. That's what it is now. <laughs> totally. I I remember the first time I played one of those, and um, I I like heavy guitars. All my guitars I own are really heavy, um, but. If I had the money for a EGC, I would totally have one. Um, but there was something about just the fluidity and moving around the neck with it, and then the resonance you get. The it, it's very unique, and it's also like it makes you play a little different too, because it's kind of unforgiving. Mm -hmm. Like it, like I feel like I don't know if it's like wood frets or anything like that, but like you can like. You kind of flub it. It still sounds right, especially like with a gain pedal. Totally. With that, like it's like hits like it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, whatever you hit, which is probably feeding into a lot of when you're playing live shows, you feel like fuck, I better hit this note, because uh, you know if you don't. There, but I've never felt this. Um, so my main uh, rig right now is I have the two six twelves, the uh, Tyron six twelves, and I have the. Uh, first generation Model T, and then the 1979 Marshall GMP. Mm -hmm. um, but you take the guitar, you just even hit like, hit like an octave on it or something, like just hit the hit an open chord. You can feel the wind coming off of the guitar from how it's resonating. Like you just feel it vibrating your fingers mm -hmm. because of this, like it just brushing out of the pickups. <laughs> It's like I've never experienced anything like it, and I, like I, I tell like my girlfriend and just like people like like when I go to practice like obviously like I love playing songs but like it's like a sonic bath, mm -hmm. um you know like I try not to like keep it too loud and I wear earplugs but like there's something about that like just like it's like a comfort blanket of just like wind, totally, definitely when you like I imagine you're surrounding yourself yeah mm -hmm. yep yeah. I love that. <laughs> it's like going to a Sun concert. <laughs> basically, you, know, it, it, you basically every time I go to there, if I'm not like at the band, like I just basically rip off Sun and just like sit there in front of my amp, just like. And I like I, I've like I've shown like uh, Carol, my girlfriend, and like it's literally like everything that like everyone should experience it. Totally. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I might not be as stretchy for yoga, but at least I feel centered. Yeah. <laughs> it, it all comes down to how you feel <laughs> internally. And if you feel centered, then great. Yeah. I feel great about the world. Yeah. Then that's all that matters, right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, I definitely would attribute that feeling to anyone who doesn't have that to seeing a sun show or any uh, prominent doom band, probably. If you're on the floor, just being in that live setting, you get blasted with that wave of that, that frequency, you know? Um, it just hits you in a way. and It seems so foreign at this time. I, yeah. Everything about that does. Yeah. <laughs> 
I fell asleep at Sun. We both did. I've seen Sun a bunch, and I've been disappointed a bunch, but I I I saw him twice in the last. Well, it was like 2018 era, and the one they did at Southern Lord Fest was my favorite thing I've ever seen from them. It was only just the two of them, and so they started off like just like riffing, like basically like doing like Grim Robes demo, like just like straight up riffing, and it was right my alley. And then they started just like throwing on like since they didn't have a bassist, they started throwing on the octave pedals, and then they basically took each person each person using the octave pedals and using the subs of the PA as like a resistance for it and seeing what would happen. So like it just like they'd be like doing like they'd phase each other out like by half a step. So like like you'd be like and then he'd jump to like a like a note down a half a note down to like just like that just like the, just like seeing like the PA just fried. And my favorite part too is so the set started off and they're like, I'm like, okay, this is gonna be really loud. It's like I've seen this is like probably like maybe like seventh or eighth time I've seen them. I'm like, okay. Sick. I'm like, this sounds so good. I'm like, I'm into it. Not that loud, like I didn't like have my earplugs in yet. Then I realized they haven't turned on that PA yet. <laughs> 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 and then all of a sudden you, you just hear like them like Lou, like it's not like they like ramped up the PA, it's like they actually turned on the PA. So it's, you hear like the <laughs> <laughs> and I was for like the next hour and a half and like I was like this is the, everything I wanted from a sunset for like the last like 20 years of my life and then like in the last like 30 minutes like rest from Leviathan not Leviathan uh, what's the other the other Southern Lord uh, basement black metal band uh, Zatzer so rest from Zaster, I think. Well, whatever the guy from Zaster, I can't remember what their fucking stupid names are. Um, you know, the guy from the other one was in Chicago and whatever. Um, he just stood there for like twenty minutes on the side, and then for like the last forty minutes, he was here. <laughs> for forty minutes. <laughs> And, 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 like, my arm just up in the air, just, like, this is the best experience of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and just hearing this PA just, like, literally struggle to survive. Like, literally just, like, take the worst notes, throw it into the other notes they hate the most, <laughs> and then just watch it just try the sub, just trying not to fucking blow out the fucking speakers. <laughs> I guess there's a reason why they are one of the few bands that advances their shows before confirmation, right? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I've never seen them do this before because they normally have like a full band and it's like a whole like ordeal thing. This was just O'Malley and uh, Anderson. And then I guess the guy from uh, Zaster. For a 40 minute. Uh, 40, 40 minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you put your cheeks, your hands next to your cheeks and you do the fart wrong. Yeah. For 40 40 minutes. But yeah, that, that, yeah, that was amazing. That was the best thing. And I saw him play at the, uh, the Rockefeller Plaza or the, in New York. No, the, um, not the, the chapel. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were, oh, yeah. We were that's where the, we fell asleep. Two yeah. shows. Yeah. Um, I thought they were fine there. Like I, I was upset that there was no liquor involved. And I realized that I'm like, I, was complaining towards Anderson. I'm like, there's no liquor here. Well, we, we got, and he's like, he's like, afterwards, he's like, you should have came back. You had all this whiskey. I'm like, <laughs> we I'm like, too. Oh, now I'm stuck over in fucking Hyde park. <laughs> yeah. And there's no bars. No around bars. Me. Dude, so we, surrounded we by literally like walked around the area trying to find a bar. We couldn't. Well, we went to Jolly pumpkin before yeah, and this we... fed into us falling asleep. Well, okay, let's bring this full circle. So we had a new metal sing-along that night oh, at uh, Beer Temple Lord. beforehand. So I, I have a doom band. Um, thanks, Alex. Uh, Alex Bach, I believe. Yeah. Uh, uh, Father Roach is one of the names, and then System of a Doom is the other. Uh, we're still up in the air on which takes precedent. But, uh, yeah, we had an excellent afternoon at Beer Temple. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't do Sleep Knot? Oh. 
You know, I, but, I, 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 I know I like that a lot, but we were okay. So we walk into Beer Temple, someone plays a joke, and they play it had to have been disturbed. Mm-hmm. And then Alexi and I just start joking loudly about disturbed playing, and everyone bartending catches on and they enact new metal hour at Beer Temple. So then I'm like, fuck this, I'm gonna doom this shit up. So I start screaming doom lyrics to these new metal songs wasted at four o'clock in the afternoon full knowing i have to go see sleep or uh we have to go to church we have to go to church to see sun in hyde park in four hours (laughs) all the way across town after after singing Limp Bizkit songs, Limp, corn Limp songs, Bizkit, Papa Roach, Papa Roach, all you, of it. You name it. If it was new metal, early two thousands, it was it was doomed up, sort of. The <laughs> whole place, everyone, the whole place was into it. So Father we eventually Roach. hop into ca- Father Roach, Father go, Roach taking you to church. <laughs> So eventually we get in the cab. We're like, fuck, we're not, we're hungry, but we're also not drunk enough. So we go to Jolly Pumpkin down in Hyde Park and uh, we eat a bunch of pizza. We drink more beer and we're eventually at church and we sit in the pew. And I don't think I've fallen asleep in a pew faster. And that's not because of sun. We were just. No, I think that there was something <laughs> soothing about. It was so soothing. Were you at the Friday night or the Saturday night? I think they did two shows. Yeah, they, uh, it was uh, Friday and Monday. Yeah, it was weird. Oh, they went down to Kentucky to play in some fucking cave or some yeah, shit. Yeah, we were going to go. That sounds there. horrible. I would never. <laughs> that would never. Dude, when they, when, uh, in 2005, I saw them play at Logan Square Auditorium with uh, Boris and Kevin Jerome. Oh, God. And then the next show after that, they played at the House Cafe over in DeKalb. <laughs> Do you know this place from your McHenry times? Uh, DeKalb? Uh, yeah, that's where NIU is. Do you know House Cafe? Yeah. Um, Sun played there. Wow. We were going to go to a show there they, not they, too long ago. It holds ago, about like 40 people and it's a coffee shop. Yeah, it's not It's not big. So it's like... It, Ron, Ron and I were planning on going out to it, but like after like two hours of like... Sun in 2005 were like really pilled up. Like the entire set was like, they didn't play a single like riff. It's just like straight droning. And then like... Anderson tried to hang his like Les Paul from the ceiling and it fell and like shattered. <laughs> <laughs> and then they had the, the, the guitar, uh, the drummer from Boris is playing like SM 57, like uh, vocal mics on a gong. And then, how, how, and did, then, and how then, did that drum kit even fit into a venue that holds 40 people? And how can you call it? Well, this was, this is a Logan Square Auditorium. I wasn't at the, Oh, though. I thought, I thought so that. like then he, after he was playing, was playing the gong with his SM 57s, he just crowd surfed and did the, uh, noise for the, like the next like 45 minutes. I like this recurring thing of theme of the, uh, sounds better in these microphones. Yeah, than when it does. I do it at home. <laughs> So yeah, if we need to start a deathcore band, we got it. Mm-hmm. We just need to bring these mics wherever we go. And our release show needs to be in DeKalb, Illinois. I, at, I was at thinking the, the Forge. Cafe. Oh, the Forge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the the uh, Forjos. We'll, we'll hit Forge-os. up um, uh, Chris, Chris Treves and we'll, we'll do it. Uh, yeah, everyone wants to. Yeah, release show, Julia. up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will say this has been a stellar episode. Yeah. What do, what do you think? We drank a fuck ton of beer. We did, and I feel like we um, we explained everything that we needed I, to. I, I really do. How, how how do you feel, Nick? I really didn't get into my politics, but <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked about Tucker Carlson earlier, yeah, right? Yeah, we, we got oh, Tucker, yeah. but he's he's old news at this point. Yeah, he's told us we we need a new uh, we need a new opponent. Everyone's the new opponent, opponent, right? Yeah. Oh my god. It's a new new hardcore band. Everyone's the enemy. Everyone's the enemy. I'm surprised that's ah, that's got to be a band at it's this point. It's got to be a band. It's probably. 
well, it's either like everyone's the enemy or I'm, I'm the, enemy, the enemy or like <laughs> he's the enemy or she's the enemy. And is there just not an enemy? Well, okay. So does, does enemy lose its importance if everything has been the enemy? That's very philosophical. Yeah. I, I, I was reaching on that one. Well, I think that. Uh, by Plato logic. <laughs> well, luckily I have uh, degrees in philosophy and political science, so that I got this all. That got us started. I don't have the sure. philosophy, but I do have the political science. There you go. Luckily, they're both garbage. <laughs> they are, yeah. It took yeah. us really far in life, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I wish I would have liked numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, what's up? If I would have liked numbers like I like music. <laughs> <laughs> let's wrap up what do you say i think so that sounds great so uh nick tell us a little bit about um what's coming up with uh for bong ripper if anything uh, obviously you have 10 years of uh satan worshiping doom um what what would you like to tell people about what's coming up and uh, also where can people find you and bong ripper on social media well you can find us on all of them besides tiktok um <laughs> No TikToks yet? Not yet. You mean I, you can't do a 40-minute drone song on TikTok yet? You know, I, I still try to understand what Snapchat was in 2012, <laughs> so I don't think that I can figure out TikTok in 2020. We'll, we'll do some research for you. We'll get back to you. But you can always find us on all the streaming services, obviously. But main thing is we are currently working on pressing uh, the supposed to be the 10 year anniversary of Saber from doom, which came out in 2012 or 10. And, uh, it sounds really well. Um, Dennis, the guitarist from our band really did an amazing job at really bringing out what that should sound like. So, um, I hope that everyone's excited about that. Besides that, um, just update on the band in general. So on the beginning, the first weekend in March, I was in New York city. I went to go see shows there over in warehouses and hung out with a bunch of friends. And then I got home on that Monday and went to the office and saw that no one was there. <laughs> Cause I got home at like two o'clock in the morning on that Sunday or Monday morning, basically mm. going in. I was like, all right. And they're like, like, Oh, this is like a test to see what's going on. Like we're going to see what happens there. And we've never been there since. The good news though is, that Wednesday, th the March 13th, Bongerper had our last practice. And we were able to put down uh, and finish a track that is about 17 or 18 minutes long. And Sick. it up until yesterday was our second practice back that we are distancing practicing. It, it sucks that, like, we were, like, really in, like, a really good place to, like, build on, like, the album. And, like, I feel like the track that we're, like, working on right now is going to be the best thing we've ever done. Um, it's... It sounds like us, but better. Sick. And I'm sad, like, like I look at the track file, and it's, like, March 13th or March 11th, I mean, and I can't imagine what we could have done in like the, that time, but like we're getting back at it now and we're going to detail that track, make it as best as possible and then move on. So we hope to like have like a record out by the end of this year. That's absolutely not fucking happening because <laughs> uh -huh. right. uh, we had four months off and we didn't weren't able to see each other but hopefully we can get it as soon as possible and i don't even know like what format it's gonna be like is it gonna be like 40 minutes can be 60 minutes can be 80 minutes i have no clue this is whatever the fuck happens what's the beauty in what you do right you can do what you want and you can do it on your own terms so we we anxiously await yeah. what will what will happen. Oh, thank you for sure. 
Um, and thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This has been an, a lovely episode for sure. Yeah. Nick Delacroce of Bongripper, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much.